Welcome to the special presentation of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. From the 2022 Columbus Catholic Young Adult Conference, we're pleased to bring you the keynote address from Father Michael Fulton. Here's the MC Brad Piron with the introduction. Enjoy. Father Fulton was born in Denver, Colorado, and moved to Columbus, Ohio in high school, where he joined the youth group at St. John Newman Parish. After graduation, he entered seminary at the Pontifical College Josephinum and was ordained a priest in the Diocese of Columbus in July of 2020. How about that? Father Fulton is the parochial vicar of Christ the King Catholic Church and St. Thomas the Apostle Parish on the east side of Columbus, and he's also the chaplain at Bishop Hartley High School, and he'll be the speaker for us this afternoon. Can we have a great, loud round of applause for Father Fulton. Is it okay if we pray with you? We're going to go ahead and uh, pray with Father again. And uh, I, I just always remind this, just uh, as, um, as we pray, just allow your heart to go and just ask the Holy Spirit to come and to be with Father alongside me. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Just extend your hand as a sign and blessing towards Father. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of Father Fulton. Thank you for his life. And thank you for the joy that he exudes, and thank you for the ways that he lives mission in his life. Lord, we pray in a particular way that you'd be with him during this talk today. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would guide every word that he speaks. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would open our hearts, that we would have a place of receptivity within us, so that the words that he speaks would bear fruit in us and bear fruit in the church here this day. Father, thank you again for the gift of Father Fulton, and we bless you and praise you in the name of Christ Jesus our Lord. And all the people said, amen. Name the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. One more time for Father Fulton. What I do literally, literally every day of my life, I'm behind an ambo. So this is, this is great. I love it. Also, this ambo is where I preached my very first homily and where when I was 17 years old, I told all the people of my parish I was thinking about entering the seminary. So like, right, this big clunky piece of stone has a lot of significance in my life. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going to hold on to it for a little bit. Uh, I'm going to start with just another prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, for his passion, death, and resurrection, for his sacrifice on the cross, for the new life that we have in his resurrection, for the blessed sacrament, his true presence here among us here in the church. Please bless this conference. Please bless these young adults. And please bless the mission that we're being sent out on. Please help us to fill this world with your presence, to build up your kingdom, to bear witness to your great power here in the world. We ask all this through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary and all the angels and saints. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. All right. So like Brad said, my name is Father Michael Fulton. I have been a priest for a little over two years, and I have the distinguished privilege of being the second youngest priest in the diocese right behind that smirking God over there who stole the crown from me just last year. So I, I am so glad to be here among all these young adults because I, at least for now, am still a young adult doing young adult things. Um, 
one piece of advice. If, if you ever have to speak in public, if it's at a retreat, if it's at, if, it's, if it's at a conference, if it's anywhere, what you want to do is arrange it in such a way that your talk is backing up to adoration. So you can just tell people like, hey, I'm going to talk for as long as I need to, and then I'm going to finish early so we can have more time for adoration. They have, they have a really good reason to want less of your talk. It's really nice. It's great. <laughs> uh, and you can always just go right into adoration. There's no, there's no downside. It's a great work. So I'm just, also they gave me 55 minutes for this talk. I don't want a speech. I don't want to talk for 55 minutes. I don't want to listen to anything for 55 minutes. I don't want to do that. So I'm going to just speak about the presence of God in the church and talk about that mission of how we are meant to live God's presence in the world. And then maybe we're going to open it for a bit of question and answer. Then we're going to get to the good stuff. We're going to go and enjoy God's presence here on the altar because that's, that's why we're here. We love that. Uh, one, one story about me uh, growing up, like Brad said, I grew up here at St. John Newman. This is my home parish, so I remember uh, I came here when I was in eighth grade. Uh, my mom kicked me out of the minivan, and I started youth group here. I started catechesis, and I, for some reason, I stayed. I was, I was a very docile child, and so I just kind of kept going. I kept coming, and I, this place was my home. This was my second home, and after I entered seminary, and my parents um, viciously moved back to Denver without me, I, I decided to stay here. This is where I felt called to be. This actually became my home. So I lived in the rectory over there. I had like, I had a pillow and a suitcase in the basement. I had a, I had a, I had a mailbox in the office and the pastor of St. John Newman let me live here. This was my home. And so I love this parish so much. And I remember this, it was so formative to who I am and uh, just how I preached, how I uh, preached the gospel, you know, how I, um, how I listen to the Lord and how he loves me. One of the things that formed me so much, living here really taught me to love the history of our church. Just why we do things, why we believe the things that we do, why things are set up the way that they are. I was, I was here when we built the church this way. So it didn't always look like this. It was a, there was a big awkward uh, brick structure back here and there was none of the, these beautiful altars but when we reconstructed the church I was one of the tour guides so I every every week of my life I would be in here giving tours after mass I would be explaining you know what's the symbolism here in the high altar you know the lamb of God on the book of the book of life with the seven seals and then the side altars the, the stations of the cross the windows I w- that was I was giving that talk you know from when I was 19 years old, you know, my second year in seminary, I gave that for years. And, and that taught me to love the history of our faith. Every drop of what's in this church, every statue, every bit of stained glass, it's tied into where we're from and why we believe what we believe. And so that's how I want to give, that's how I want to give my talk. Uh, I want to start with the biblical foundations, the biblical examples of God's presence in the world. And we, because we see that lived out all throughout the Bible. It's a big library depicting the, the presence of God in the life of his bride, the church, in the life of his people. And then I want to get into, you know, how that's been played out in the history of our church and the tradition of the church. You know, what are some of the things that we do to enjoy this awesome presence that God has among us? And then what can we do in the world to live this presence out and to proclaim the gospel? But first, I, I have to get back into that, that little that tour. I have to talk about my favorite thing in this church. Father Dury, I don't even know if you know this yet, but this little 
this little painting right here. This is my favorite little part of the church. So again, this is a beautiful image of the book of Revelation. Our, the lady who's squashing the serpent under her heel, you know, fulfilling that prophecy from the book of Genesis. And here we have the serpent. It's not just some little garter snake. When the artist came forward with the image of this painting, his first design, it looked like a garter snake. It looked like, you know, a cute little snake that you'd find in your garden, you know, a little, uh, little thing that's just looking, looking for mice. And he said, no, this is the ancient serpent. This is, um, this is the enemy of all creation. And so it was recreated to be this, this wicked, writhing sea serpent coming up out of the water. And in the book of Revelation, you hear the image of the serpent spewing that muddy, uh, spewing muddy water into the earth. And here we have this beautiful image. It was taken, he is spewing this muddy water into this hole in the earth. But we see that that hole in the earth is the tomb. And so the muddy water goes into the tomb, but it comes out fresh and clean with new life. Just like we enter into the tomb with the mud of sin and death, but we come out of Christ's tomb with the resurrection, with new life. So I absolutely love, love this painting. I've loved it since I was 19 years old. I hope I'm going to love it for a very long time. And every drop of what's in this church, it shows us, you know, who we are and why we believe what we believe. Okay, so in the Old Testament, we can start again at the very beginning. You know, we, we begin at, in the garden. We begin with the serpent. We begin with creation. The very beginning was the word. The word was hovering over the waters. We have the presence of God. From the very from before time existed, there was the presence of God and everything was created in that context. There is never a moment, there is nothing that is made or will be made that is not made in the context of God's presence. And then he created the world. He created the world in relationship with him. He created the garden. He created the creeping beasts that crawl around on their bellies. He created the birds of the air the fish of the sea. He created man. He breathed life into his lungs. And then he gave, he gave a helpmate to Adam and Eve. We see this, and they lived in this garden in, in the presence of God. They lived in this perfect relationship with God. We even see that God would, um, it speaks about God strolling through the garden in the cool of the evening, in the breezy time of the evening, of the afternoon. God was truly present in his creation. He is always present in his creation. He is not synonymous with, with his creation. We're not pantheists. God is not creation. Creation is not God. But God is so intimately tied with his creation. He's not some distant, faraway thing. He is deep in his creation. He is always a part of it. And even after we fell out of the garden, even after we fell out of that perfect relationship with God, that perfect um, that perfect life in his presence, there was still, he was pursuing that relationship with us. And we see how that is brought back into its, it starts back into its proper context with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all their descendants. And then after, and after, you know, generations, we see this first beautiful image of God's presence among his people. Well, I want to, we got the burning bush. Moses is wandering through the desert looking after a lost sheep of and see the prince of Egypt. I love that scene. And he sees this beautiful image of the presence of God. God is truly present in front of him. This bush that is on fire, that is covered in tongues of flame, but is still not consumed. 
This piece of God's creation that is completely covered and set fully alive, but is not consumed, is not destroyed by God's presence. And then things really start getting out of hand when, uh, when God sends Moses, he frees his people. And then when they go into the desert, when they go out into the desert towards the Holy Land, towards the promised land, God's presence is really just is a big part of the story. We have God accompanies his people through the desert in the form of a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And the, this is from Exodus 13. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way. And by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. In this very rich and dramatic part of salvation history, God's people being freed from slavery but being sent into the wilderness, God is always present with them. We see his presence in not just in a little burning bush, but in a great pillar of fire. This beautiful, giant, terrifying pillar of fire that is even less terrifying than the true presence of God that was there in their midst. And in the day, a, pre- a pillar of, of cloud. Again, how amazing is this presence of God that was accompanying the people along the way. And then when they make it to Mount Sinai, we hear... The Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear when I speak with you. And they will always put their trust in you. And Moses relayed to the Lord what the people had said. At Sinai, Moses goes up the mountain. He goes up to speak with God. And of course, we know that at the bottom of the mountain, they're making some golden idols. They're doing some golden calves. It's getting a little bit out of hand. But up on top of the mountain, they can see the presence of God on the top of Mount Sinai. They see this cloud descend upon it. They see light. They hear great booming noises. And they hear the presence of God. They see that the presence of God is inside that cloud. That the presence of God is veiled by that cloud. And then the presence of God recedes up into the heavens. But Moses comes back down into the midst of the people carrying the tablets. Carrying the law of the Lord. Again, the Lord's presence among them. He was present among them in the pillar of cloud, and the pillar of fire, but now he's present in his word. He has sent his word to be present with them. And of course, those tablets are thrown down on the ground, and they're broken, but eventually they're picked back up, and they're placed into the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant, full of the tablets, as well as the manna, as well as the rod of Aaron, that is the next, one of the most beautiful images of God's presence in all of salvation history. This beautiful box of gopher wood that's uh, covered over, or gopher wood and acacia wood that's covered over with gold and with cherubs and that has rings so they can't actually, rings and poles so they can be lifted up without actually touching it. This beautiful image that sometimes burns off the faces of Nazis, if anyone's seen Indiana Jones and the Lost Ark. This beautiful vessel contains the presence of God. And again, just like in the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud, the cloud that comes down upon the mountain at Sinai, this is a container 
of the presence of God. This is not the actual presence of God because it is within. Correct? Like this beautiful golden box. It's pretty impressive. But what's inside, what's hidden inside is even more impressive. What is the reality that is veiled is even more incredible. And this veiled reality, this presence of God, accompanies them all throughout the desert. It accompanies them through their wanderings. It accompanies them in their, in their tents and in, their, um, in their, little, their little camps. And it accompanies them as they're coming into the Holy Land. As they're starting their, as they fight their battles, as they uh, fight against, they drive, out the, they drive out all the nations and they move into the land, the God's presence is always among them. It is always there in inside their people is always going out with them one of my favorite images in the old testament is king david uh, doing some really really impressive dance moves like uh there's like this really old movie uh this old-fashioned movie where david is dancing in front of the the ark of the covenant and he's just he just looks like a middle school boy who's just starting to learn how to dance. And it's, it's just the most awkward dance moves you can imagine. But it's this great joyful um, expression of the presence of God being welcomed into the city of God. Bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and being placed into its proper place among the people. So all throughout the Old Testament, we have the presence of God. We have the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud. We have the glory cloud, the Shekinah that descends upon the tents of the meeting. And then we have the Ark of the Covenant, which is brought into the temple. It's brought into the center of God's city of Jerusalem. So everything is built in this context. Everything is about this. The center of the camp is all centered around the presence of God. The center of the city, all centered around the temple and the presence of God. God's presence is at the center of life in the Old Testament. The old, that whole 10 minutes could have been kind of just wrapped up into that little bit. All of the Old Testament, the life of God's people is structured around the presence of God. And then we see how that is brought into its fulfillment in the New Testament. And again, at this point, the Ark of the Covenant has been lost. After Israel was sacked, the Ark of the Covenant was lost. God's presence was gone. There was still the bread of the presence that was in the Holy of Holies. But it wasn't until God took on flesh and became one of us when a little baby was born in Bethlehem that God was again present among his people. God was present among his people. And we see that even after, even all throughout God's, all throughout Jesus' life, through his ministry, through his preaching, for those 33 years he's present here on the world, God is present among his people. He is not far off to the side. He's not out in the desert. He is in the midst of his people, preaching the word, lifting them up, and bringing them into relationship with him. But even after the resurrection, even after the ascension, he says, I will not leave you abandoned. I will send my Holy Spirit. I will send a paraclete to be with you. He sends his presence here into the world into the, in the form of the Holy Spirit. So he is always present with us. And from the very beginning, the apostles, they celebrated the mass. They celebrated the sacrifice of the Last Supper so that he could be truly present still in their midst. So from the very beginning, we have the presence in the pillar of cloud. We have the, his presence in the Ark of the Covenant. We have God being truly present here on earth in Jesus Christ, true God and true man. But in all of them, God's presence is still veiled. It's covered over. We can't see his true glory. 
Except we've got this one moment. We've got this one moment on Mount Tabor. Who can remember this beautiful, luminous mystery? On Mount Tabor, right before Jesus goes up into his passion, he climbs up, he climbs up Mount Tabor with his disciples, with Peter, James, and John, and the veil is lifted. The veil is lifted. And all of a sudden, he becomes resplendent white, shining brighter than any fuller could have, could have bleached him. He is shining brighter than the sun. You see Moses and Elijah are there on his sides. You see the great glory of God. You see the glory of the presence of God there on Mount Tabor. And a fun little, no, fun little nugget, this little structure right here, this thing that the monstrance will be placed on, is called a Tabor. Because this, just like that mountain in the middle of the Holy Land, is a pedestal, is a thing to lift up the presence of God, to display it prominently in the church among his people. The same way, the one time we see God's presence unveiled is there on top of Mount Tabor. We get that foretaste of the glory of heaven where he's not hidden behind a cloud. He's not hidden in a box. He's not even hidden behind the veil of human flesh. He is truly present and his glory is shown on top of Mount Tabor. It is here on top of the altar. Still veiled in the Eucharist, but here in his glory. All right, so we see this all throughout the Bible. I love this. Okay, that's laying some of the background, the foundation for who we are and like why we do all these weird Catholic, thing, Catholic things that we do. Then we get into the history of the church. In the church, how do we live out, how do, for over the past 2,000 years, how we lived out God's presence in our life? One of my, okay, one of my favorite things in this, bells. I love church bells so stinking much. Like, at Christ the King, my parish down on Livingston Avenue, we're built in, uh, the church was built in like 1969. And so it was when we had all the money in the world, but not all the best style in the world. And we have possibly the ugliest bell tower in the diocese. But it has the most beautiful bells in the diocese. Like it's, again, it's just like a very, it's just a very simple structure. But the bells on it are these gorgeous bronze bells. These gorgeous things that weighs thousands and thousands of pounds. And every single day they ring hour after hour, proclaiming the time, proclaiming the, proclaiming the presence of God in the midst of his people. So the purpose of bells in the Catholic Church is to proclaim God's presence in the world. That's, kind of, that's the name of this talk. That's what we're supposed to be talking about here is proclaiming God's presence in the world, living out God's presence. That's what bells are made to do. That's why we buy these things is because they proclaim God's presence in the world. Um, and when a bell is made, before it can be put into use, it is actually baptized. It is, um, it is blessed, it is anointed, it is given a name, and it is set aside for this use of proclaiming God's word to the nations. So in, let me read to you part of the blessing of a bell. I, again, these are the kinds of nerdy things that I love and probably the things you didn't think you'd be hearing about this morning when you wake up. But the blessing of a church bell. This is one of the many prayers. It says, O God, who through the blessed Moses, the lawgiver, thy servant, did command that silver trumpets should be made, through which when sounded by the priests at the time of sacrifice, the people reminded by their sweet strains would make ready to worship thee. And assemble to offer sacrifices. And encouraged to battle by their sounding would overcome the onslaughts of their enemies. Grant, we beseech thee, that this vessel prepared for thy holy church 
may be sanctified by the Holy Spirit, so that through its touch the faithful may be invited to their reward. And it's when its melody shall sound in the ears of the peoples, may the devotion of their faith increase. May all the snares of the enemy, the crash of hailstorms and the hurricanes, the violence of tempests be driven far away. May the deadly thunder be weakened. May the winds be salubrious and be kept, back, kept in check. May the right hand of thy strength lay low the powers of the air, so that hearing this bell they may tremble and flee before the standard of the holy cross of thy Son depicted on it. To whom every knee bows of those that are in heaven, on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that the same our Lord Jesus Christ, swallowing up the death upon the gibbet of the cross, reigneth in the glory of God the Father, and with the same Father and the Holy Spirit, world without end. Amen. That's an awesome prayer. I love that prayer. I couldn't have made that up if I tried. So other than learning that they make the airs more salubrious, which I think is a hilarious word, it, this shows us the, the meaning of church bells. It's not just a pretty thing that we do in our world. It's the bells were made to invite the people to pray. When they were rung, from miles and miles around, people could hear that it was time to pray. It was either time for the matins, the louds, different hours of the liturgy of the hours. It was time to pray the Angelus. It was time to start Mass. Or it announced that there was a time of, time of danger, that we needed to be careful. Or that there was a time of great glory, a time of great triumph. It always announced news to the people. And it received a name because just like the angel, the angel Gabriel, the angel Raphael, the angel Michael, it was entrusted with these great messages to proclaim to the people. So anytime we hear church bells ringing, these things were made and consecrated to proclaim God's presence in our societies, on Livingston Avenue, here on Carter's Corners, in every corner of our diocese in our city, when a church bell rings, it's not just telling the time, it is proclaiming Jesus Christ's kingship over that land. It is proclaiming the kingship of Jesus Christ in that land. Also, uh, one of my favorite things is the Angelus, and I'll get to that later, but it would proclaim at 6 o'clock, at 12 o'clock, and 6 o'clock in the afternoon, it was time to pray. So the, the bells that we have are an amazing way, just in our Catholic culture, that we live out the presence of God. All right, another thing, habits. In, I love religious habits. I love, I love my cassock. I love, I love that sister's wearing her habit. I love religious habits so stinking much. I remember uh, when, I was, when I was a seminarian, I was you know, talking with the, some of the sisters from St. Michael's, and they, they told me a story about they were all walking down the street, and they were just going to go get an ice cream or something because they're in Worthington and they're down the street from Graders. They're walking down the street and all these people are just staring at them. They're just, um, they're, you know, a couple of people honking a horn. But it brought up this great point that no one can look at a Dominican sister in her habit and not start thinking about holy things. You look at a sister in her habit, you look at a brother in his habit, probably to a lesser extent, because sometimes they look a little bit, they look a little bit smelly. But the, a beautiful sister in her habit, walking down the street, proclaims the presence of God among his people. The second you see a habit of religious, you immediately start thinking, that person knows Jesus Christ. That person has changed their life around Jesus Christ. That person 
is convinced that person has a relationship with Jesus Christ. Like that person has given everything for Jesus Christ. I know Jesus. Or they, be, or they go in a different direction. Like, I used to know Jesus. Or I wish I knew Jesus. And before a sister, before someone in a habit even starts a conversation, that habit has already proclaimed the gospel, has already started that conversation, has already brought it about. So in this world, like the religious habit, like it is an important thing. So it proclaims God's presence among his people. And it evangelizes so much better than any, than any words that I can just call people on the street. What we wear in the streets is so important. And the religious have, do such a great job of that. Also, on a smaller level than habits, veils. So chapel veils, one of my favorite things in the world are chapel veils. They're come, I'm, in my parish, I've got, um, I'm at one of the largest Hispanic parishes in our state. Christ the King, Cristo Rey, que viva Cristo Rey. And all these little abuelitas, you know, they've got their little veils and they, they put them on their granddaughters and it's starting to come back even more now. But it's such a beautiful image. And again, it, the veil is all about showing the, the beauty of the woman, the sacredness of the woman. But it's also, it's used as a way of reminding yourself of the presence of God. To put yourself into the presence of God, to remind yourself of the sacred space that you're in, and also to direct yourself in prayer back towards God. So again, habits and veils, sanctuary lamps. This is something like, you can walk into any Catholic church in the entire world. You can walk into St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. You can walk into, you can walk into St. Sylvester's Church in Waverly. You can walk anywhere. You can walk into any Catholic church. And as soon as you see that little red light, you know of God's presence in the church. Every, every now and then I'll walk around a church. I'm like, I don't see a red light. Am I in the Catholic church? I'm, I don't, I'm not sure. And then I'm like, there it is. Okay, we're good. And my heart all of a sudden is just at ease. Just from seeing that one little red light, we are reminded of God's presence here among his people. That even in times of COVID, when no one was allowed even into their churches, in times of famine, in times of war, that little light is burning. It is a, pre- it is a sign of God's presence among his people. Also, just a note about Western civilization was built with this same idea in mind. God in the desert, the people, they built their camp around the meeting tent, around the tent of the presence. In Jerusalem, Jerusalem was built around the temple mount. They saved the highest point for the temple, for the presence of God, and everything was built around it. In European cities, we see this. The very center of the European city, what do we find? We find the cathedral. We find the cathedral in its square. We find God's presence there in the very center of its people. Here in um, in, pro- in non-Catholic cities or in Protestant cities, we usually find a courthouse or we find, uh, we find maybe a Masonic lodge or we find a mall. But in these ancient uh, Christian cities, you would find a church built in the very center of the town. The easiest place for everyone to get to and something that proclaims the presence of God. Also, if you ever go to one of these ancient cities, you'll see just in the architecture, like, all the buildings look the same. You're walking down and you get lost. You're like, okay, that building looks exactly like that building. And I think I took that turn, but that corner looks exactly like every other corner in this entire city. And you get really lost. And that was intentional. Back when they were building these cities, they wanted everything to look as uniform as possible. They wanted to draw less attention to the secular buildings of the city. They wanted to draw more attention to the beautiful 
to the beautiful structures that they built to glorify God. So that even the construction of the city was made to proclaim the presence of God in these ancient Catholic cities. I love it. All right. I'm nerding now. I hope you guys are too. We're going to keep going. Also, we would have processions. Processions, possibly my favorite thing in the entire world. Um, in the Catholic Church, we've got this ancient tradition called Rogation Days. So in Rogation Days on the, on, the 5th of eight, on the 25th of April and three days before the Feast of the Ascension, we would have these special processions around our villages where the priests would go around and bless the fields, get ready for the, getting ready for the, for, the, for the planting, and then in the middle of the summer getting ready for the harvest. The priest would go around with his altar service, with all the faithful, with lit candles and with incense and with holy water and singing psalms, praying for God's blessing over their town, for his presence there in all of their land, not just in the center, but all throughout, even to the farthest corners of their fields. They're praying for the presence of God among their people. Now, I love it. It's, it's a really big thing still in Anglican England, but we can bring it back. We can do it. We can take it. Um, but even bigger than this are Eucharistic processions. My favorite thing in the entire world are Eucharistic processions, where the king of the universe, where the same presence of God, even more present here in the Eucharist than in the, than in the Ark of the Covenant, is walked down the main streets of our cities, is processed and paraded around with great joy and with song and with candles and incense. I love it. Also, Bishop Earl Fernandez you know, we're praying for his mom today, but this guy is the best. I love this guy so much. Next year, this is like a little sneak peek. Next year, and the novena leading up to the Feast of Corpus Christi, Bishop Fernandez wants to have a Eucharistic procession every single day for nine days in every deanery of the diocese. And he wants to be in the procession. So he wants to have nine days of Eucharistic processions all around the diocese and invite, the, invite everyone to do it. And I'm, I'm going to do it. I will do whatever he needs to help. I am all about this. Because this is one of the greatest things we can do in the Catholic Church to, procla- to proclaim God's presence in the world. A couple, um, last year, we did a procession from one of my parishes to my other parish, and we walked through Bexley, one of the most affluent um, neighborhoods in our diocese. And it's funny, on the, on the Bexley uh, news boards and all the, all the chats afterwards, there were a bunch of people saying, like, what is going on? What is going on on, on Gould and on, and on Cassidy and on Broad? The Mexicans are processing around and they're yelling in Spanish and they're doing something cool but what are they doing and everyone was talking about it for a week afterwards because we were walking around we were praying the rosary on on loudspeakers we were singing songs and we were proclaiming and adoring the presence of God in the midst of his people Eucharistic processions by far the greatest act of proclaiming God's presence in our world we can't, that's not, that can't be the answer to every single problem. We can't just throw an, a Eucharistic procession to everything. But we can try. And I think, we, I think, I'll, I think I'm going to do my best. So Eucharistic processions, this thing, this deep and beautiful tradition in our Catholic faith of proclaiming God's presence in the world. A presence that so many people who see these processions don't know about. A, process, a presence that they haven't experienced until that moment. And so it's our duty as Catholics to keep doing it. All right, so now I want to transition into what can we do, like in these just next few minutes before adoration, what do we do to live out God's presence in our lives? How do we do this? How do we proclaim God's presence? 
Again, I wish I could have been here earlier for Kim Zimber's talk, but I heard, um, I heard that she gave this beautiful focus on it's not so much about what we're doing as much on who we're being. Kim, I'd love to talk to you about this after because that sounds perfect. That sounds amazing. As much as every single one of us, when we hear proclaim God's presence in the world, I think our minds jump towards, I need to put on some, a sign and get a loudspeaker and go stand on a corner and just start yelling at people. When that is the farthest thing from what we are being asked to do. There comes a time every now and then when that's what we need to do. But every single day, we need to live out God's presence in our lives. Everything that we do in our life needs to be proclaiming God's presence, not just what we scream on the corners. <laughs> so what I want to pr- propose is a ministry of presence. Again, I work in a high school, and there are 800 kids in this high school, and I cannot speak and have a deep in-person relationship with each of these 800 kids. But I can be there, and I can be present. And more than any words that I say in their, in their classrooms, more than anything else that I do, me being present there and you know, be walking around in my funny clothes, it proclaims God's presence to them. And so our ministry of presence as Catholics in the world can do so much more than a few moments screaming on a corner. Our presence of proclaiming the gospel is so powerful. Where does that start with? One, something simple. Walking around with your medals on your chains and your bracelets on your wrists and all these beautiful sacramentals, your rosaries, these are a proclamation of God's presence to the world. I can't tell you how many people have asked me about my Marian consecration chain and how often I can say, yeah, this is um, a reminder of how Mary is the best way for me to draw closer to Jesus. And they're like, wow, that is not what I thought I'd be getting this morning. But it's an immediate excuse to get into proclaiming God's presence in the world. And your chain, now people love chains, they love shiny things. Wear these beautiful chains, wear medals of the saints and of the Blessed Virgin Mary that can help you live out your faith, but also invite people into a conversation about the things that you're wearing on yourself, about how important your faith is to you. Also, statues in the front yard. At night, when I'm doing, when I'm catching up on my calls, I am driving through my neighborhood and I see the houses that have a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary or that have St. Francis or St. Joseph in the front of the house, like they get a blessing. Like, I like that house. Have statues in front of your house. If you're proclaiming to the world, this is a Catholic household. You can proclaim that other than putting on a sign and yelling on the street corner. You can put a statue in front of your house. And you can invite people and you can talk about it. Also, Bless your houses, bless your apartments, bless your, bless your dorm rooms. I assume there's some people living in dorm rooms around here. I love house blessings. Not as much as Eucharistic processions, but I love them. Because it is proclaiming that this house belongs to God. It is consecrating this house and everyone who lives in it and everything that happens in it to the presence of God. And the inscription is done above the doorway, the CMB in the, the 2022 in chalk. It shows that... Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar, the three wise men, give testimony that God, the King of Kings, is truly present in this house. That is what we need to proclaim God's presence in the world. Also, get bumper stickers on your car. Get your 820 Catholic bumper sticker. Get the St. Benedict medal. Anytime I see a Catholic bumper sticker, I'm like, ooh, I like this one. And I throw a blessing. (laughs) You can say grace in Say grace in restaurants. Pray with your, pray with your friends. Pray, pray every meal. You don't need to be really big and showy about it. You don't need to pray like the Pharisees pray really loud and for everyone to hear. But don't be afraid to pray in public. 
Also, praying the Angelus. If you can't pray all seven canonical hours of the Roman breviary, uh, which takes a while, it, you can start by praying at 6 o'clock, at 12 o'clock, and at 6 o'clock. Or maybe, maybe at like 7.30 in the morning if you really don't want to get up at 6. But start praying the Angelus in the morning, at noon, and in the evening. A way to sanctify the day and to sanctify your time. No matter where you are, pray the Angelus. If you're in public or at home, pray. Also, pray the Liturgy of the Hours if you can. Pray. Find a way to sanctify your time. and to find a, If you can pray in your, um, in your daily routine, that will sanctify those around you and it will invite them into prayer with you. Also, in our Catholics, we're really good about praying in front of abortion clinics, praying in front of... Um, praying in front of City Hall, praying in front of things that need our prayer. Like, don't be afraid to do these things that are beautiful and also very um, scary sometimes, witness to our Catholic faith and to the values and the things that are important to us. Also, as when people comment on your joy, a lot of you as Catholics, young Catholics, are very joyful. You're very, you're happy people. You're really fun to talk to. Don't ever just be like, oh yeah, well, I guess I'm just a happy person. Say, no, I have the joy of the Lord. Like when someone asks you, why are you so happy all the time? Give them a reason for your joy. Give them a reason for your hope. Say, I'm joyful, I'm happy because I know Jesus Christ. And I am sturdy, I'm, I have my foundation in him. And that's why I'm joyful. And finally, just one last note before we get into adoration, because adoration, that's, that's why we're here. Um, there's this Thomistic principle called exitus reditus which again, saying that everything is going out from God and everything is coming back to God. In the very beginning, God created the world. He sent everything out from him. We see that in the, great, in the Big Bang. Everything left out, it came out. But it's also all being brought back into him. Everything that was sent out by him is also gathered back by him. The same thing happens to us in the Mass. We are gathered here into the church. We are filled with his sacramental grace. We are received we receive his body and his blood, and we are sent back out into the world. It's like the great lungs of the church calling us back in and bringing us back out. As you go back out, take the presence of God with you into the world. Take it into your work. Take it into your houses. Take it into your crazy families. Take God's presence with you. Because God is drawing all things back into himself, and he's doing that through his church. He's doing that through his people, through the people that he has walked through the desert with, the people that he, that he illuminated in Jerusalem, the people who he will live with forever in heaven. I want to finish with just these words about God's presence in the world from the book of Revelation, what we all have to look forward to. But I saw no temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates the city and the Lamb its lamp. By its light the nations will walk and into, the king, and into it the King of the King, the kings of the earth will bring their glory. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for joining us for this special presentation of St. Gabriel Catholic Radio. You've been listening to Father Michael Fulton from the 2022 Columbus Catholic Young Adult Conference. If you'd like to listen to this talk again or share it with somebody, please visit the special features page 
at stgabrielradio.com. Again, thanks for being with us. God bless and have a great day. Hi, my name is Father Mike Schmitz, and this is Ascension Presents. So, um, there's a big a word that is being used a lot in church circles these days. I think it's probably been used for roughly, I don't know, 2,000 years, maybe even more. When people, when uh, disciples would follow rabbis, um, they were called disciples. <laughs> and the rabbis, guess what they were called? They were called rabbis. But that person who followed after the rabbi was called a disciple, right? So, um, discipleship is a big deal. Recently, I've just noticed that the, the word is used a lot and the term is used um, a bunch and people want to be like, how do I be a disciple of Jesus? He's my rabbi. He's my Lord. He's my savior. How do I follow him and how do I become the kind of disciple that Jesus is calling me to be? Those are all great questions. So I thought, let's do a video. And had in the video, we'll talk about what are like four basics of discipleship. Before those four, the main thing about being a disciple of Jesus, being about a follower of Christ, is essentially to be like the master, right? Is to become like him. So it's to be interiorly conformed to the Father's will. It's to uh, think like Jesus. It's to look like Jesus. It's to be like Christ in the world. So that's ultimately the goal. But the question, the basics are, the question is, the basics are going to be, what are the things I can do? Uh, what are the things, what, what are the essential principles of this? Now, there's a ton of essential principles. You could say one is surrender, submit your life to Christ, um, faith, hope, and love. All these things are very critical. I'm going to focus on four, four um, what I would call basics of discipleship. Number one thing is relationship. It's all about a relationship. I mean, uh, it's all about having that. It's not just about ticking off some tasks. It's not just about doing certain things. It really is ultimately going to be about living out that relationship with Christ, um, living in relation as a child of God to God the Father. It's all about relationship. But I think sometimes when we think of a relationship, we think like, oh yeah, it's just about like Jesus is my buddy and kind of things because we're, we're so tight that we have a great relationship. That's awesome, but we have to remember that real relationships have two things. They have real rights, Meaning, if you're if you're a child of God, if you're a child of the Father, you have real rights. You get to a, you have access to the Father's heart. You actually get to appeal to the Lord in a really unique way as a child of God, as a son or daughter of God. You have real rights, but you also have real responsibilities. And I think sometimes we like to think, no, I have a relationship. Because of the relationship, I get to kind of um, be more flexible. Let's say it like that in the nicest possible way. But if it's going to be a real relationship, real relationship, you have real rights and real responsibilities. I have to live in the way that God is calling me to live, which means I have to grow. I can't immediately, you know, begin a relationship and think that it'll be the same kind of relationship it, it after, you know, 10, 20, 50 years of a lifetime living out those rights and living out those relation, uh, those responsibilities. So that real relationship has to grow, which leads to the second thing. The second Discipleship basic thing is showing up. That means we have to show up to prayer, we have to show up for mass, we have to show up um, when it comes time for us to act, we have to be there. But we have to be there not only exteriorly, but also interiorly. How many times have you gone to mass and just like, yep, I'm here, did it, checked it off, but your heart's not there, your mind isn't present. 
Or maybe even you have a, a prayer life where you show up to prayer. This is the time of prayer. This is the place of prayer. But you're not really showing up interiorly. So I'm not truly present to the Lord, if you mean uh, present in mind, in heart, in my whole self. In a real relationship, you can tell when someone's not truly present. They're somewhere else. They're on their phone. They're thinking about something else. They're not with you. So as part of that relationship growing, I have to show up, but I have to show up interiorly as well as exteriorly. Number three, discipleship basics. Out of that relationship, I show up, but I have to do this consistently. The word faithfulness can also be translated steadfastness. I want to translate it to like modern English and just say faithfulness is being consistent. If I'm inconsistent with prayer, that means I'm unfaithful. If I'm inconsistent with uh, telling the truth, uh, that means I'm unfaithful when it comes to the truth. You see what I'm saying? Is that faithfulness equals consistency. And a disciple is someone who consistently lives out of that relationship that they have with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. A disciple is someone who consistently shows up in prayer, to prayer. A disciple is someone who consistently returns to Mass. A disciple is someone who consistently goes back to confession. You see this? Um, I show up, but I don't show up sporadically. I show up consistently. A lot of times we're tempted to say like, well, I haven't shown up for a while, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to have this really intense prayer. So I'm going to go into the church, or I'm going to go you know, uh, on a retreat, and I'm just going to immerse myself in this really intense um, kind of prayer. Now, that could be fine, but I have to tell you this. Consistency beats intensity every time. Every time. It's the small gains. It's the small, just put it in day after day. Um, put the work in, put the effort in, put the time in. Show up day after day. That's what train changes our hearts. That's what makes us into people who are like Jesus. That's the goal of discipleship, to become like Jesus. So relationship, showing up and doing this consistently. Lastly, discipleship basics, number four, is keeping your commitments. A disciple is someone who's a decision maker and based off of those decisions, they've made some commitments. And the disciple who's made decisions and has commitments has to keep those commitments. Sidebar, that uh, it has to be like legit, right? Like, I promised I'd rob that bank with those people. Like, no, don't do the thing, you know? A disciple is someone who keeps their commitments to other people as well as to God. Because if I'm in a relationship, aka covenant with God, a covenant relationship with God, that means that he's given some commandments. And if I want to be in him, I have to keep those commandments. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And then you'll remain in my love. This whole thing is about becoming like Christ. But these four steps of disciple basics, maybe not steps at all because they're all part of a thing, right? These four habits, habits. These four habits of discipleship, of knowing it's a relationship that has real rights and real responsibilities, has to grow. And it grows when I show up interiorly as well as exteriorly. And I show up consistently, not sporadically, not about intensity, but about consistency. And I keep my commitments to the people around me, and to the Lord, the God of everything, with God's grace. Doing that transforms us into new people. It transforms us into people of Christ. It transforms us into people who live like, who look like, and who um, act like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the rabbi.
He's the master, we're the disciples. So with these four habits, these four basics of discipleship, everything will change. From all of us here at Ascension, this is Father Mike Schmitz. For my show notes and a complete library of my podcasts or videos, visit ascensionpress.com. God bless. No.